streaming live soon. Do meu ser. Please stand by. Greetings, everyone. My name's Andy Hines. I'm here to talk to you tonight about the Word of God. I'm recording late. It's been a busy day. As you can see, I'm not in the office at work. I'm in my home office. And so uh, I'm going to get started. We're going to start in a new series that's going to support uh, what Rick's talking about prophetically. I'm going to dig into some foundational issues with that. And I want to start with a prayer before we get started. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us this opportunity. And I pray right now that you'd open the word to our hearts. Uh, I pray that I will be able to speak what you want me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Um, Rick has been talking about the prophetic, uh, how to operate in the prophetic. Uh, the difference between an Old Testament prophet and a New Testament prophecy. So uh, we want to pursue what I call the foundation for you to launch into those teachings. Now, uh, let's take a look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, a couple things, and I'm going to be I'm going to be reading and and doing this uh, teaching from the uh, New King James Bible. I I really like that. And um, I'm going to start up here, First King or First Corinthians chapter twelve, uh, verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, if you look in in your Bible, it probably the word gifts is in italics, means it's not there in the original, but it was put there by the translators. Uh, in order to clarify what they thought was the, the the intent of the scriptures. But we can take it out and not do any misjustice uh, to the text. And so let's take that out. Now concerning spiritual, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He's talking about spiritual things. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual things. Now, that includes spiritual gifts, but what he's talking about is the, the world of the spirit. Uh, you know, we are a spirit, we live in a body, and we have a soul, and there's a spirit world going all around us, and we can't see it. That's the only thing different, but we can certainly operate in it, and we're going to discuss that and learn that over the next several lessons, how that all ties together. Now, from that, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, if we look at the 7th verse, we see uh, that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Uh, we know that the benefit of the spiritual gifts is to help the church. Uh, also, <clears throat> we know that speaking in tongues uh, edifies yourself. It builds you up. It builds your faith up. Um, we could certainly talk about tongues in a later uh, later chapter, uh, but the, this is this purpose right now. We're going to be talking about the spiritual environment we live in and how to operate that. Now, remember, 
we are pursuing, if we, if we go to chapter uh, 14, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says this, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Again, that word's italicized, so we can drop it out. Pursue love and desire the spiritual, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, Rick has, has gone through in detail and explained what prophecy is. Um, it is to build up and comfort and edify those. It's a word that you believe the Lord's giving you, and, and it's an anointed word to give to someone else. Now, if somebody comes up and prophesies to you and says they have a word of the Lord, it's your responsibility to review that word and see if it lines up with the word of God. If it doesn't, just disregard it. And if it does, then you have to make a decision to, am I going to act on that word? Now, that comes at a later time. But I want to go over here uh, the types of gifts that he's talking about. And we're going to talk about speaking gifts, uh, prophecy, the discerning of spirits, and tongues. And we know uh, from those three gifts and all the, all the gifts that were mentioned here, chapter 13, they have to operate in love. Uh, we have to operate within the framework of God's love in order to be able to properly use spiritual gifts. Now, um, I want us to look at uh, Psalm chapter 11. We're going to be talking about the foundational issues. Uh, and I'll tell you why that's important in just a second. Psalm 11 verse 3 says this. Well, if we go back to verse 1, I'll read the first uh, three verses in Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust, and how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow, and they make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. Then he says this is the most important scripture. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, you think of a, of a house being built. Uh, if the foundations destroyed, the house will crumble. doesn't matter if it's a million-dollar house or a hundred-thousand-dollar house or if it's just a shack and shanty. If the foundation is destroyed, the thing's coming down may not come down right away, but it will come down. The first storm that hits it, down she'll go. Okay, now, my question uh, to the Lord uh, as we pursue this is, if the foundation is destroyed, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, we're going to go back and, and we're going to set that down, the foundation because you have to have a foundation. There's some things that you need to know as you pursue the spiritual gifts. Um, and we're going we're to see that in uh, Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 13, and Luke chapter 8, the parable of the sower. We're going to go into it in, in, uh, in, in, in depth. Uh, we're going to take a lot of time on it. And so it's not just going to be uh, one lesson or two lessons, it's going to be a series of them, and they're important for you to understand. 
And so let's start out. The foundation that we want to lay, and we want to find out what the what what is it that Jesus did when he began to minister? Because operating in prophecy is ministering. We know that the gifts were given to each one for the benefit of all, and Paul says, I want you to prophesy. Now we also know that tongues and interpretation are equal to prophecy. It says that in in uh, chapter 13, or chapter, pardon me, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to take some time to go through the first three chapters of the book of Mark and discuss some of the, how, how Jesus is building a foundation until we get to Mark chapter 4. That's going to be the meat of this uh, teaching. And we call it the parable of the sower. And we're going to start out with Mark chapter 1. Now, um, as we go through this, remember, it's on. It's also in Matthew 13, Luke 8, Mark 4. But we're going to start in Mark 1. Now, uh, we want to look at this in, in chapter 1. I'm not going to read the chapter. But let's look at chapter 1, uh, verse 5. Uh, we know John the Baptist is coming, uh, is out in the, in the water, and he's, he's teaching and preaching. And it says here, Then uh, John came baptizing in the wilderness, in verse 4, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Now listen to this. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins on a continual basis. Okay? They're confessing their sins on a continual basis. Why was John the Baptist able to draw crowds like this? What were they seeking? What did they come? The remission of sins? But the word is so powerful that people are coming from all over to hear what he has to say. Now, what drew them? What drew them to hear John? Now, we're going to pursue some other things here in the, in the chapter. Let's go down to verse 8. John tells him, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the the one to come. He says, I must increase or I must decrease and he must increase. He says he's a messenger, he's a forerunner. So that guy that's coming, we know that to be Jesus, said, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So we want to pursue that. We we know the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Now look at verse nine, and we'll look at verse nine through eleven. These are important verses. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, what do we learn from these scriptures? 
uh, several things. There's actually in the next couple of scriptures from from uh, verse nine up to uh, verse fifteen. Uh, there's five things that Jesus did. We're not going to go into them in detail here, but I'm going to tell you what what the what some of them are. One, he was born again. Now, Jesus didn't need to be born again. He modeled for us the, the think of going down into the water. Uh, the dead, the old man dies, the new man's raised to life. That's the first thing. He modeled baptism to us, which it indicates the born again experience. So we need to be born again. Number two, the baptized in the Holy Spirit, because it says, uh, coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we need that. Number three. This is a scripture very few people talk about or even consider. Is verse 11. Then a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's what we would call the hall of faith. But listen to what he says in chapter 11. Verse 1, actually verse 1 through 3. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith... We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. He doesn't say the world was made out of nothing. It was made out of stuff you can't see. Okay? It was made out of stuff you can't see. Look at verse 6. We scroll down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Very important here. This is the third element of Jesus as he's coming out of the water. Listen to this. It says uh, very clearly, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, we this is very indicative because it says Jesus operated by faith. He did not operate as the Son of God with his godly uh, powers. He set those aside, but he is a man operating under the direction of the Holy Spirit in this world. That's what Jesus did. Now, understand that when we got born again, we were placed in that same category. We are men that are born again and learn how to operate with the Holy Spirit in this environment. Now, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us. He did it, he did it right. Uh, we don't get it all right, but we're, we're aiming that direction, kind of like playing baseball. 
you're not going to get a hit every time. We know that up front, but you want to get as many hits as you can. And, uh, you know, the goal of most baseball players to try to hit this is to hit 400. That means you failed six out of ten times. But if you hit 400, you, you're counted pretty good. Well, Jesus hit 1,000, and he did it by faith. And when we look at chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And what that means as far as Jesus is concerned is that Jesus did things, and he operated on faith. Faith doesn't know the answer. It believes the answer because God gave it to him. Now, just remember that. Jesus operated in faith, and he's showing you and I how to do that. He didn't have a clean slide here because he was the Son of God. He operated in the faith God gave him to be a man controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go on from there. Now, let's look at verses 12 and 13. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. The fourth thing, uh, he was born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he operated in faith. The fourth thing is he went and he, he went into the desert to confront the enemy in the desert. We're going to have to deal with deserts in our lives. And we're not going to do it here, but we will be talking about that later. Then uh, verse 14. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The fifth thing is he knew what he was supposed to do and he went out and he did it. He learned what he was to do in the wilderness. And we, we can expand on the wilderness in chapter 4 of Mark, or pardon me, of Luke and Matthew, but we're not going to do that right now. But the five things that Jesus models for us here as part of our foundation so that we can operate in the spiritual gifts, got to be born again. You need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You must operate in faith. You're going to have to face the desert experiences in your life whatever those might be and within that desert experience you're going to hear from God about directions that you need to take things that he wants you to do and you're going to have to go do them that's the last thing the fifth thing now it's clear that as Jesus is preaching the word of God remember he's preaching the word of God. Now we'll look at this in other, in other scriptures in here. Um, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, John Ortberg describes him during this period as a kingdom bringer. And being a kingdom bringer in the world of Romans and Herod was a very dangerous occupation. Uh, there was only one king, Caesar. And Herod, what the, they weren't going to tolerate anything that set up another king. But Jesus came preaching that exact same thing, that exact thing, and he's another kingdom. Now, let's look at 16 through 20. And he walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew. During that period of time, those four verses, uh, he called Andrew and Peter, 
and John and James, the sons of thunder. So he went out and he began after he had been involved in the word and he was he was t- preaching and teaching. The Lord began to show him the people he wanted to bring around him. So he brought with him and selected Andrew and Peter, John and James. Now the interesting thing about them, if you go to Luke chapter 5, you can see this in, in, in great detail, is when he called them, they simply quit what they were doing and followed him. They didn't clock out. They didn't clean the nets. They didn't do anything. They just quit what they were doing and followed him. Now, John and James were, were in the fishing business with their dad, and they took off together. Now, these are the sons of thunder. They didn't get the sons of thunder name uh, because they were nice guys. They got it. I'm assuming they're hard-drinking, hard-living, fighting fishermen. That sounds like these guys. Uh, they're the ones that said when things didn't go the way they want, you want what we should call fire down on them from heaven? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. But anyway, at this point, Jesus is calling them, but there's something about his voice that gets these people interested to follow him. Now, uh, let's go on from there. Start in verses 21 through 28. Now, I want to go through that real quick. Then they went into Capernaum, which you'll find out was his base of operations, and immediately, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as having authority, not as the scribes. Now, there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. He cried out, saying, Leave us alone. Uh, what have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, he's teaching the word of God. And what the, the, the people are coming from all over. If you, if you trace this on a map, and I do have a map and perhaps I can bring it out later uh, and kind of show you the big picture. But uh, if you follow some, they're coming from all over. They're hearing. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Twitter. Didn't have CNN or Fox News or cable or satellite. Any, it was word of mouth. And they're coming from far away to hear this man. Okay? Now, when we look at those things, people were amazed. Demons are getting cast out. Uh, people are getting healed. Doesn't that happen before? Certainly not with the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, let's look at verse 29 through 45. And when you go through there, you'll find out that he's healing and preaching and healing. He's teaching the word. If you go back and look, 
uh, it says in um, as evening the sun set they brought to him those, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases cast out many demons he did not allow the demons to speak uh, and he's teaching the word of God and the word of God is having that effect on people now from there we want to uh, begin to close out on a couple of things here. Number one, I want you to look at verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Now, he gets up and he goes out to commune with the Father. He does this regularly. That's how he chose his disciples that's how he made big-time decisions. And in this one here, he goes out. He comes back, and he says to them this. Um, Let us go into the next towns, and I may preach there also, because for this purpose I came, I have come forth. In other words, I need to go preach this message to other towns. Now, a leper came to him and he healed the guy, but he told him something very interesting. In verse 43, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony. So he tells the guy, uh, don't say anything to anybody, just go tell, go to the priest, and follow the the law of Moses, because see Jesus operated under the law of Moses. Uh, the old test uh, the Old Testament was still in force during the four Gospels. It, the being born again, the new covenant didn't come into place until after Jesus died, and starting in the book of Acts. But at this point, look at verse forty five, last verse. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread matters so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places, but they came to him from every direction. Now, one thing we find out from this, Jesus goes up and finds out what God wants him to do. And one man, being disobedient to what he was told to do, went out, and blabbed his mouth off, and it prevented Jesus from doing what God had just told him to do. He said, I've been told to go to those other towns and preach there. But now he says he can't do that because this guy shot his mouth off. Now the people are coming to him in the desert, but he's not doing what he was called to do. It's interesting that one man's disobedience can throw a monkey wrench into what God wants to do. I think that's consistent with what we see from God and Jesus. Uh, people having an impact on his ministry. Now, there's uh, three things here that we want to bring out of chapter one. Number one was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The second thing is um, we see the authority authority of the word of God when spoken by Jesus and acted on by Jesus. Remember, he used faith to do that. Faith means you don't have the answers, but you're operating on it because God said to do it. So the third thing is 
that faith produced healing and deliverance. Now, this is the framework that as you begin to pursue prophecy, Jesus is telling you these are the kind of things that are going on that you need to do. You need to do these five things. You need to operate uh, in the Word. And you need to realize the baptism of the Holy Spirit, understand the authority or the integrity of God's Word, and then participate in healing and deliverance. Now, I want to leave you with uh, a scripture, Revelations 19.10. And basically it says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And what that says is this. What Jesus talks about, the things that he did here, is the spirit of prophecy. So if he healed this guy here of leprosy, he'll heal others with that. If he heals from deafness, he wants to heal others from deafness. It's not a matter of if it be thy will. If we see Jesus doing it and give the testimony of it, God healed my ears when I couldn't hear, then we have the right to participate in the same thing. I'm going to close with prayer, and I thank you very much for coming with us on today's walk. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask you to anoint this time. Let the word go forth. I pray, uh, looking forward to the next time when we dig into chapter 2 of Mark and probably some of chapter 3. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll see you soon. Brilha a luz que inunda o meu viver.